worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. They'll eat your guts and spit them out. And when your bones begin to rot, the worms remain, but you do not. So don't ever laugh as a hearse goes by. For someday you'll be next in line. And when death brings his cold despair, ask yourself, will anyone care? Macabre may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Blair. I'm Holly. And we are the Ladies of Macabre. Ooh, and do I have spooky. a weird ass sassy episode for you? What do you have today? What's your F? Frankenstein. F is for Frankenstein. Yeah, and you're probably like, what the fuck is so sassy? Well, I was a little sassy when I wrote up the, the book summary, so please forgive me. <laughs> Mary Shelley <laughs> was kind of sassy. I mean, if you think about yes. it, she was ahead of her time. She definitely was. And that has a lot to do with her parents, which we will also get into. Her parents were a little sassy, too. We have to kind of put that disclaimer out there. This We are not in any means disrespecting or downplaying anything that happened that we talk about in our episodes or making light of it. We just want to provide something that's, it's dark, but we, we try to keep it a little bit lighter so that it's not too overwhelming for people. And we have to know that going into this episode because Mary Shelley had quite the macabre life. You could say not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This Cobb episode is, is also not, not for the faint of heart. Not this, for the faint of heart. Yeah. This podcast in general is not for the faint of heart. So I hope you weren't expecting anything different because it's totally not. Listener discretion is absolutely 100% always advised. <laughs> <laughs> my show notes, it starts off a little bit sassy. So the <laughs> my show notes I have is... It was a dark and stormy night. Nah, more like a rainy afternoon when it happened. A challenge had commenced among some friends to pass time. The challenge? Well, the challenge was, who could create the scariest story? Turns out, Mary had a macabre side. And a very macabre life. That sounds like my kind of party. Heck yeah. Introverts unite. (laughs) Heck yeah. I know, I'm all about this life. From the get-go... Mary had a really interesting life. So she was born on the 30th of August in 1797 to William Godwin and Mary Wollensecraft. Does that name sound familiar? I am pleading the fifth. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, It's that English lit major in me that's like, like nerding all over the place. So Mary Wollensecraft, who is also known as the founder of feminism, Oh, cool. Yeah, right? Just some weird-ass connections here. Mary, her mother, Mary, was a writer, philosopher, and a very vocal advocate for women's rights. And she was actually the one that wrote The Vindication of the Rights of Women in 1792. So, needless to say, Mary Wollstonecraft was very sassy. Her father, William Godwin, was also a little bit sassy, especially when it came to society. He was a journalist, a novelist, and a political philosopher. And he is actually thought to have promoted eud- oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to not be able to say this word. 
utilitarianism. Woof, there we go. You said he promoted utilit. <laughs> no, I can't say yeah. the word. Ut- <laughs> can we can we slow that down? Utilitarianism. You did I got say that it. right? Okay, good. Yes, you did. <laughs> he yeah, he promoted it. And he is also a thought to have been an advocate for modern anarchism. Okay. Yeah. So Mary had definitely come from some sassy parents. Uh, very vastly intelligent, forward-thinking people. Unfortunately, Mary Wollstonecraft died roughly a week and a half after giving birth to Mary. And her father wanted to make sure that Mary was very well-educated and was allowed a lot of freedoms, as her parents were both very free thinkers. And he wanted more for his daughter than what society at the time was giving their daughters. Yeah, that's a huge... I mean, th- for the time yeah. frame, this is just unheard of, you know, for exactly. women to be able to be free thinkers. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, kudos for him because not only is he raising children on his own, especially with, you know, being a journalist, a novelist, and involved with politics and being a philosopher and being a very well known person in society, it's a lot to take on and to be. A single father at that point to have that kind of thought process about it is just completely unheard of. It sounds like even, I mean, obviously her mother passing is a huge thing and her growing up without that, but it sounds like her father did the best he could to to make up for that. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine when it came down to that and we'll kind of touch on that later oh yeah unfortunately she grew up to you know obviously she was very intelligent she had a life ahead of her but unfortunately she was really haunted by death throughout her entire life and she often had nightmares and a lot of that did involve her mother and like you said, the absence of her mother and growing up, her father made sure that she knew who her mother was and where she came from. And Mary ended up being very much like her mother. Over her life, Mary had lost her mother and her own children. In fact, there was only one of their children, or her children, I should say, I'll tell you in a second about who, but people who know Mary know what happened. Um, one of her, she only had one child that survived, and that was Percy Florence Shelley, which was named after the father. We'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am familiar with that name. Yeah. Well, says the name Percy Shelley. Yes, the Percy Shelley. Uh, Mary met Percy when she was only 15, and they immediately fell in love. Now, Percy was a very handsome, romantic poet, and he had come from a very rich family, if you're into that. But no judgments, I guess. Um, She wasn't into him for that reason. She was into him for his very outspoken, free-thinking process as well, because that's where she came from. He was also a bad boy because he got kicked out of Oxford, if you're into that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who's not who's, who's not, not into bad boys who are handsome <laughs> romantic poets i mean sign me up but there there was just a tiny little problem with this uh percy was married oh no <laughs> yeah um if 
there wasn't just the problem about, you know, the whole Oxford incident, the fact that he was married. Mm. So this was a real scandal. This is a real, like, what's that show that's on right now? That's on Netflix. (laughs) Um, Love at First Sight. Oh, yeah. Or something like, it's not Love at First Sight. Love is Blind. Sorry. Blind, blind. Yeah. You, I think you're right. Yeah. Oh my God. Complete scandal. So, oh yeah. And it only continues from here. So they continue to court quite scandalously. And William Godwin found out about it. And he, being a free thinker and very much into free will, was like, Mm-mm, no, like this is not a thing. He was like, I'm into things, but you know, he's married. Yeah. You can't be a home wrecker. That's yeah. not. We're not going to be that free. Yeah, exactly. You can be free, but mm, I didn't think you were going to get this free. <laughs> <laughs> so Percy went on to kind of explain to Mary that he was very much into free love. So per- potentially he was like the first hippie. Yeah. You know, he was like, love is limitless. And I'm going to love how much <laughs> and whoever. And yeah, Mary ended up being okay with that in a way. Although it isn't, no one can really confirm how far along in their courtship before Mary actually knew that he was married. Mm. It was too late at that point, probably. She (laughs) was all, you know, starry-eyed and heart aflutter. Yep, for sure. She was probably like, that's okay. You're too handsome and bad boyish. I could, I could literally be okay with anything. (laughs) So the very unfortunate side of this it started boiling down to they were courting. Percy was still married until he wasn't. His first wife ended up committing suicide. Oh, no. Yeah. And one of the things that is just a little more scandalous is Percy ended up meeting Mary only a year after he had been married. And his wife was pregnant. Oh. Yeah. So you can just about imagine the controversy that was happening around town about them. And they ended up losing a lot of connections with friends and family for a while because of what all transpired. Yeah, that makes sense. It would have been a big deal at that time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So what did they end up doing? Oh, they ended up getting eloped in 1816. They were eloped. And they decided to go traveling. And they ended up taking Mary's stepsister, Jane, who they called Claire, with them. Claire ended up having a massive crush on Lord Byron, which, mm, who really didn't at the time? Let's be real. I mean, it's <laughs> He Lord was Byron. a playboy, right? Yeah. He was like a ladies' man. <laughs> Talk about bad boys. This whole group is just scandal, scandal, scandal. So because they were shunned by most of their other friends and family, they had Claire with them and they were trying to make some connections and Percy already had friends. He was friends with Lord Byron. And that's kind of how him and Claire ended up kind of having a thing. But when they eloped in 1816, they ended up just traveling for a while to get away from all of the the drama. Yeah. All the drama. (laughs) Which seems to be a theme. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And they were lucky. They ended up uh, being able to travel to places like France and Geneva and not to cut stories short and transitions, but it was in Geneva 
that the infamous writing challenge took place to where the birth of a monster came to be. And not just Frankenstein, but the other friends that were stuck in that house ended up writing some pretty stellar, scary books as well. Didn't uh, the one by Lord Byron, well, it wasn't necessarily Lord Byron. There was another guy that was there, right? That was kind of like not very accepted. And yes, that would have been Lord Byron's physician, John Polidori. Yes. And yes. then he he sort of wrote something that then Byron tried to take credit for. And then that eventually led to the Dracula story, right? Was kind of the yeah. inspiration for that later. Yes, it was. Uh, Polidori wrote the story, The Vamp- the Vampire. And that is also an excellent read. I do highly recommend you go out to find that if you haven't read that. But yes, there uh, everything involved with this circle was just scandal. <laughs> I like a lot it. Of drama. I kind oh, of yeah. would want to, I wouldn't mind being a fly on that wall. <laughs> right? Especially since it's like, okay, who, how often do you hear that where you're like, mm, we're stuck in a house because of the weather. Do you, do we you, play a game? <laughs> do you know the backstory of the weather? I actually looked this up. Uh, no, I just know that it was so bad that they were kind of stuck in the house. Yeah, so they called it the year without summer. There was a volcanic eruption oh. prior to that. And it changed the, you know, obviously the what goes into the atmosphere. It changed the weather conditions that year. And so it was, they called it the year without a summer. And that's why they were having these storms and the lack of the summer. They, you know, they planned to go be outside and gallivant and yeah, the volcano had other, uh, other plans. plans. Yep. But Hey, we probably wouldn't have Frankenstein (laughs) if it weren't for that. Right. The volcano knew just like, "Mm, stay inside. You need to write. (laughs) (laughs) Out of everybody that was there, a lot of people would have thought, oh, well, Percy or Byron would have been the ones to win. But it was actually Polidori, the physician, and Mary who pulled through. And Mary actually scared them with how creepy Frankenstein ended up being, which the other name for Frankenstein is a modern Prometheus. That's right. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, if you're studying how she wrote it in her life, you can kind of see some odd parallels in how she wrote it. And it is no secret that Mary's life was full of struggles and a lot of death between her mother, her children, and other people around her. And it was thought that she had suffered from depression and she really kind of took that out through her writing. And it, it really does show in Frankenstein. Frankenstein is definitely not a chipper book, which I tried to make a little more um, upbeat and funny in the summary, which I will read you. (laughs) I hope you're ready for this. I'm ready. (laughs) Because, well, Hmm. I really took some sassiness to this Frankenstein summary. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already read Frankenstein and I don't want to bore anybody, and the beginning is a little bit dry. You know, it starts picking up after uh, Victor starts telling his tale. So I am making it funny, so I'm sorry if I offend anybody. It is not attended. We start with Captain Robert Walton. He is on his way to the North Pole in his ship when he stumbles upon a man who is in pretty bad shape 
from being exposed to the cold. He takes him to the ship so he can try to help him to recover. Eventually, the ill man tells him that his name is Victor Frankenstein. Over time, he tells Robert about the monster he created, abandoned, and was now trying to find. Walton is astonished by what Victor recounts to him. Victor goes on to say that he went to school for natural philosophy and chemistry. The more he learned, the more he became obsessed with the secrets of life. Years after tons of research and experimentation, he thought he finally found the answers. He spent months getting dead body parts and putting them together in his apartment. And one night, he finally brought the body to life. When he steps back to see what he actually created in this odd, feverish state, he is absolutely horrified. So what did he do? Well, he did what, you know, any other normal person would do. He went to bed. Let's just say (laughs) he didn't sleep well. And at one point, the monster was looming over him. So he shot the fuck out of bed and started running into the damn street because he didn't know what to do. And while running around the town battling mentally with, is this really happening, and his own personal pity party, he runs into his friend Henry. Because Victor seems to have pretty poor judgment in general, he brings his friend back to his apartment. He finds that the monster is gone, and he becomes sick with hysteria. He decides he's going to leave town. (laughs) He's going to go back home. (laughs) That's the answer to everything. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, "Mm, I'm out. Dude, you messed up. What do we do? Let's bounce. Yeah. We're out of here. <laughs> we're, we're done. So he's like, yeah, I need to sort my life out. I'm going to go back to my dad and my fiance. He's just about to leave for home when he gets a letter from his dad saying that his little brother, William, was murdered. So Victor rushes home. But while he's passing through the woods where his brother was strangled, he sees the monster. He then realizes that the monster has killed him. When he gets home, he's told that Justine, a girl his family adopted when he was a kid, was actually accused of murdering William, and she was executed. Victor is now beside himself in grief over his losses and knowing that he's kind of the reason why this whole sorrow was taking place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Imagine living with that. He just wants to get away from everything at this point. So he takes a vacation to the mountains. Completely isolated, right? Wrong. Guess who shows up? The monster? The fucking monster. Did he have DPS? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's stalking him at this point. And he's like, bitch, I killed your brother. I can't believe, like, just how the monster and Victor are kind of, like, stalking each other this whole point in the book. And I can't help but feel like the monster is, like, this weird-ass mix between a mafia man and a jealous bitch. Because... Yeah. Basically, he's like, I killed your brother, but I'm lonely and I'm shunned by everyone and everything. And I just want to make you feel how you made me feel when you Well, abandonment, clear abandonment issues. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's kind of like my cat, Lanny. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. You make me a baby friend and I'll stop fucking your shit up. (laughs) Victor's kind of like, geez, what the hell's with this guy? So he goes to England with his friend Henry to figure out how to make the whole damn thing over again, female edition. And after he leaves his buddy in Scotland, he goes to a secluded island to create the monster so he can be away from everybody. But mm -mm, 
while he's working, he looks out the window to find, you guessed it, the motherfucking monster (laughs) (laughs) being a peeping Tom. (laughs) And I guess not only is the monster a jealous bitch, but a pretty impatient one at that. Victor gets the willies. I mean, even, uh, I'm not even going to go there. Never mind. What? It was bad. You know what? <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say, even a dead guy has needs. <laughs> Everybody's got needs. They just look different, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. So bad. It's so bad. So Victor just, just really gets the willies at this point and decides that he can't grow through with this transaction with the mafia monster. So he decides to dump the monster's bride into the lake. The monster is so pissed off at this point that he promises a new threat. He vowed to Victor that he would not be alone on his wedding night. Kinky. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Too far. (laughs) Too far. We're going too far. Oh, I I told you this this, uh, episode is a little sassy. (laughs) So finally, he comes back to shore to retrieve his friend after being kind of taken off course because of the wind and he is arrested on the spot for murder. And when he's taken to be shown the body, he discovers that it's Henry. Oh no. Had been strangled. I'll give you three guesses at who did it. (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, three pretty good guesses. (laughs) And it wasn't the Loch Ness monster. So while in prison, Victor goes mad a bit. Not like he wasn't already like a level 94 mad scientist before or anything. But after he recovered from said madness, they let him go. He went back home, got married, you know, tried to do that normal life thing. And he put the ringy dingy on the fingy and (laughs) went off (laughs) to have his first night as husband and wife. And then he remembered what the monster had said. So he checked his lodgings and nope, there was no horse head in the bed, but he (laughs) screamed or he heard a scream. And that's when he realized the monster wasn't looking for pillow talk with him, but to get rid of the wife. No. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he's a jealous bitch. So grief stricken, Victor went back home to his dad again, but his dad was also so grief stricken that he ended up passing away shortly after Victor's return. And that's when he vowed to seek revenge on the jealous mafia monster bitch. It only took everything in his life to be lost to him, for him to be like, I should take care of my problems instead of run from them. I should probably do something about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Remember, kids, running from your problems only makes them worse. Hey, we've all been there. We have. (laughs) It just takes you a while to... Uh, finally realize that you can't outrun them exactly the literal monster will follow you so if anything could be learned from this it's it's that i totally agree that should definitely be the message that is taken away from this (laughs) (laughs) so victor tracks the monster going northward and boom that's when captain robert walton finds him too cold to carry on And although Robert brings him back to the ship to care for him, Victor just keeps getting worse and worse. He ended up dying shortly after telling Walton his whole story. The captain left the room for a while to prepare something to transfer Victor's body out. (laughs) But when he returns, guess who's there? (laughs) (laughs) 
he's kind of like Michael Myers at this he point. Really I feel is. like I feel like he's moved away from mafia to full on Michael Myers. He totally is. Like I'm just like picturing Loomis like Michael. <laughs> yeah, you're right. His it face was is kind of eerily similar too, if you think about it. He kind of has those dead eyes and yeah, the pale skin, right? Kind of molten looking. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing very very large similarities here. When he came upon the monster in the room, the monster was sobbing over Victor's body. Like, ah, Victor, I could have been a contender. And he tells Walton of how lonely he was and all of the hatred and pain and suffering that had been building up as the time went on with trying to get revenge on Victor. So he kept complaining to Robert at that point. Oh, Robert, I could have been a contender. Just kidding. I'll stop. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) When the monster said that since his creator was dead, then he could go too. So he left the ship to walk north and he vowed to walk until he died. The end. So, but what if he walks forever and never dies? Right. That's what I was thinking. It's like, well, if you're already dead, are you just going to be... Walking around like, I could have been a contender. Is it like a walking dead type situation where eventually if they don't feed, they just kind of just start to fall apart? Yeah. Good question. I mean, technically he's made out of human parts. So you would think that that would be. Probably wasn't embalmed either. So. Right. There's that. Exactly. Oh, can you imagine that over time? Like, is he just like rotting and rotting all the time? Or did Victor come up with his own embalming? Please see the previous episode. (laughs) Yeah. I I do have a side tangent for you, though. Um, You, okay, so this is an older series, which some of the listeners might be familiar with it. You have not watched Penny Dreadful yet. I haven't. No. Correct? Okay. Correct. And and we talked about this, but now I'm going to re-encourage you to watch it and put it on your viewing list. Although I think now you have to pay for it on... I think it's on the Showtime network now, okay. the streaming service. But um, it gives you a different perspective of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. I really enjoyed that part of the series because it it does give you kind of a different look at it. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the characters that they created. So highly recommend. I'm so excited. And I know I, I took some pretty uh, obnoxious uh, liberties with how I described how it went down. But in reality, in the book, the monster was actually super intelligent. He was actually in the beginning kind hearted. And as things kept going on and he tried to get back to Victor, he just kept getting more angry and angry because of he really was upset that he had been abandoned and he tried yeah. to get revenge as much as he possibly could. You are going to love it. That's all I have to say is you are going to love it. It's brilliant. I am so excited. I Yeah, I definitely, it's on the top of my list now, especially after we talked about it last because, oh, all of the weird things that they bring together that I've seen in the summary, I'm like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> there's this one line. This is totally not relevant to what we're talking about, but there's this guy, he his character, he's kind of like an antiquities dealer, collector. He's very eccentric. And he when he meets Mrs. Ives or Miss Ms. Ives, he says something to her. I can't remember, but he's like, 
I'm charmed, I'm sure, or something like that. I don't know. It's just (laughs) funny the way he says, I don't know. It just, it's, he's very eccentric and funny and he has this crazy hair, but he's like a brilliant little addition to the cast. I love that. I can't wait now. Yeah, it's at the top of my list. I've been looking. So, and I think you're right. I think it's on Showtime. Yeah. I'll buy it. It's okay. But yeah, uh, even though I told, tried to tell the summary in a kind of funny way, in reality, the story is super sad and it is the epitome of macabre. But kind of a fun fact, if you didn't know, it is considered to be one of the very first novels that is under that science fiction genre. I think some people will argue that it is the first sci-fi novel. Yes. Yeah. And, oh, I'm like, mm, Mary killed it. She, she did. was a genius. Yeah. She really was. And she written, she had written other things as well throughout her life too, but she didn't necessarily get as much, as much recognition for anything like she did with Frankenstein because another Thing that we should probably mention she she loved percy so much and after percy died in 1822 she spent the rest of her life trying to get his work published and to get his name out there because she really believed in him and his work and tried to do her absolute best by her husband so she ended up dedicating her life to that and mary she suffered so much because not only did she lose Percy at such a early stage in their life, but all of their children except Percy Florence Shelley passed away as well. And Mary really only had Percy, their son, after that. And when she did pass away in 1851, it was because of a brain tumor. And her remaining family went to go and clear out her writing desk and they ended up finding some pretty, pretty sad things. Um, Mary ended up holding on to locks of her dead children's hair because she, she loved her children so much and she really took it hard, especially with losing her own mother. It was something that always haunted her and to lose her own children just heightened all of it. And it obviously never gets easier They also found a parcel that apparently had a piece of Percy's cremated heart in it. It was wow, yeah. Talk about macabre romance. Um, She had wrapped it in one of his very last poems called Adonis, and she held on to that always. Like she, I don't think anybody actually knew that she had those in her writing desk. Wow. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense as to why she would write something like that, you know, yeah. with all that tragedy. And and then also at the time, I mean, body snatching and 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 all that was was a part of the reality. And I think um, galvanism and the the use of electricity to reanimate flesh and animals and things like that, that was a thing, too, that it she was, was able to, to draw from. Yeah. And she actually, when she was younger, she kind of really was taken aback by that. She ended up reading one of her dad's books when that process was kind of the cutting edge of the moment type of study. And I don't, it probably didn't help with her nightmares. (laughs) 
Yeah. But she was obsessed with the dead because of what happened with her mom and just completely fascinated by how it could be reanimated with electricity. And she kind of brought that through her life. And eventually when the contest happened, she just kind of took on her nightmares and wrote about all kinds of different things that haunted her. And a lot of people who have studied Frankenstein have said that there's a lot of parallels with how she wrote other things and how she wrote the dialogue of the monster kind of through her own thoughts and how she thought about death, how she thought about love and relationships. And it is a very deep novel. (laughs) I'm going to have to reread it. It's been a really long time, but your summary was like amazing. And I, (laughs) it makes me want to read it again. I have so many things on my queue that I need to get into. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm glad. I mean, I, I know I was like, "Mm, the monster is a jealous bitch, but you know, um, (laughs) abandonment issues for sure. Yeah. Daddy issues. (laughs) Definitely daddy issues. Abandonment issues. Oh, yeah. The list goes on. He just, in reality, the monster just wanted to be loved. Yeah. You have to watch that series. Yes. Yes. I can't wait. I'm trying to think what other parallels I could make to that in some of the pop culture now. I mean, obviously, The Walking Dead is one thing. Um, This is not related, but how far are you into The Last of Us? Uh, I am actually... We on episode five. Are you caught up? I I'm not caught up. No. Okay. I think we're two or three episodes behind. I don't remember how many are out. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But I I think that series is fascinating because of the idea yes. of the cordyceps and taking over, basically taking over the host and controlling right. and using them. That is very Frankenstein to me, but uh, it is. In that animation. Oh, I kind of want to tell you where I'm at, but I don't want to ruin it for listeners. Just in case they're not there yet. Yeah. Maybe just give me like a little snippet. Just a little snippet. I'm at the point where somebody who is a survivalist ends up meeting somebody. Yes. Yes. I got through that episode. Okay. That was the one I told you was like, uh, it's very polarizing between people who just want to complain about it and then the other people are like this was an amazing episode it was amazing i loved it and oh oh my gosh it like hurt me too but it it kind of was a sweet ending at the same time but oh my gosh did it hurt to just see the whole transformation of it all i did not just to have it happen in one episode yeah i did not expect that and i you know we were my husband and i were talking about it afterwards and it's something that is not often shown in that type of world in like a zombie world. You mm-hmm. don't really see that. And this exactly this this situation was perfectly set up so that they could have a life mm-hmm. during all of this. And it just goes back to the idea that love is like the most important thing. And if you have that, you have everything. Exactly. I it was totally so good. agree. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, part of me that just likes to ruin myself wants to be like, I'm having a glass of wine and I'm going to rewatch it and I'm going to sob. Like, yeah. (laughs) It was so good. It It was was so good. good. I'm glad at the end they didn't show the end, if you know what I'm saying. 
Yes, I am very glad. That's why I thought like they did it in a very sweet way. Bittersweet, really. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm exactly it really was. I I do not have any complaints. It's just so sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. but yes, if there's any takeaway from this episode for you listener personally, uh, face your problems. Don't <laughs> run from them. And be lovable. Love people in return. And if you know love, then you know the world. And you have the world. (laughs) Yeah, you can't run from the monster on your back. Yeah, exactly. Especially when that monster is a little bit impatient. And And has abandonment issues. Um, Sounds like some boyfriends of the past, actually. Yeah, exactly. I I almost put I almost wrote that into the summary of like jealous crazy exes, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to. Really <laughs> we already went there. Anybody. But yeah, no, we already I went mean, there. We, it's true. I, I mean, there's a lot of people who can relate to that. So yeah. you know, exactly. And shout out to those of you who have experienced that uh, jealous bitch esque ex because, mm, been there. I'm sorry. It sucks. And please don't uh, destroy yourself in trying to seek revenge because you know what? Karma can be just as big of a bitch. Yeah, definitely. They'll get what's coming to them. (laughs) Yep. And I mean, it never ends well, right? That's the whole, that's the whole other point is, you know, this thing in, in Frankenstein was pushed to a certain point and just doesn't end well. No, exactly. And unfortunately- Very. Yeah, Mary was very macabre. Very. Yeah, it's sad to think about just people's lives back then and all the tragedy and the death. And it would make sense that people, obviously, writers pull from their experiences and their lives. And a lot of great pieces of literature came from that time period, which we've now you've covered at least two of them. Yeah. Oh, there's so many we could cover. If you as a listener have not delved into anything from the 1800s, I highly recommend. There's some good shit from that era. Let me tell you. And maybe we can cover on a future episode. Maybe we can do a bonus episode around Christmas time with um, Charles Dickens because he essentially saved Christmas. Yes, he did. So that's an interesting story to talk about. Yeah, we and should totally do that. There's very creepy Victorian Christmas cards as well, yeah. which we can talk about. I like that. We should totally do that. We'll have to put that on our list. Yes. Maybe a Patreon episode. That'd be a fun holiday yeah. thing to do. I agree. Which we haven't, af- we haven't officially launched the Patreon yet because we want to make sure we have some content available, but it will be coming soon. Yes. And then Keep for people's peeled. Keep your peepers peeled. Yeah, we'll make an official announcement on that at some point. But um, for now, I always feel like a broken record, but <laughs> where to find us? On Facebook yeah. at Macabre Podcast Facebook group. Um, you can go to the website at macabrepod.com. And that's where you can leave us a recorded message. If you have a story you want to share, hometown macabre just a topic that you want us to cover, or if you just want to say, hey, that's great too. Uh, You can also email us 
on Gmail at that's so macabre at gmail.com. Absolutely. We really want to hear from you. We know that you have stories. Don't keep them a secret. Yes, please join in the fun. Because it's fun. And we hope you're enjoying this wild, crazy ride that we have put you through many times now. <laughs> it's only going to get weirder from this point. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've got some doozies coming up. I know. Care to share? Yeah. So I think uh, we mentioned this uh, last time. The next episode is G, which is going to cover a serial killer, a really famous serial killer that Blair doesn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And what have you got? You've got H. I have H for a very famous king with many wives. And basically like a reality TV now, if it was centered around a dramatic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Real yeah. Housewives of Henry, basically. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Except with a lot more death and uh oh yeah like if real housewives was macabre that would be it yeah <laughs> and then i think I, I sort of have a fun episode i guess a uh, different kind of theme of episode for the letter i we're going to be talking about the origin of different uh phrases so it, it'll be i for idioms yes, and we'll talk about where wait. you know certain things come from like skeletons in the closet i'm not going to cover it but i'll just tell you now just because you're here so skeletons, skeletons in the closet actually came from kind of like a previous episode that we talked about during the Ooh. body snatching times. Doctors and medical people would have to hide the cadavers in closets when they would have like an impromptu inspection. And so that's where skeletons in the closet came from. Oh, weird. I did not know that. Yeah. So we'll talk about some just some origins of common phrases and where they came from. So that'll be fun. I'm excited. All right. Well, we did it. Anything else you want to add? Another episode. Just remember, don't hide from your problems and don't keep those skeletons in the closet for too long. Nope. They will come back to (laughs) haunt you. They'll come back as ghosts. That's for sure. Yeah. And that that's probably worse. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Yes. Bye for now, friends. Bye. Keep it macabre. Keep it macabre.